Praise the Lord. Can you hear me now? What a night. What a Savior. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians, chapter 2, and I'll begin to read in verse 5. Philippians, chapter 2, and verse 5. And I want to preach tonight on this subject, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, put your words in my mouth. Give me a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I must decrease and you must increase. I confess that our foe, the devil, has been vanquished and that your blood will never lose its power because of your death, burial, and resurrection, Lord Jesus Christ. Sin, Satan, and death have been defeated. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Jesus Christ does not want a place in your life. Jesus Christ wants first place in your life. Jesus Christ does not simply want to be your Savior, but Jesus Christ demands to be your Lord. Some 24 times in the New Testament, Jesus is called Savior. But 644 times, Jesus Christ is called Lord. You cannot separate the fact that He is your Savior from the fact that He is your Lord. This idea that you pray a prayer, get some hell insurance, shove Jesus out of the way, and treat Him like a fire extinguisher, glad it's there in case of emergencies, just hope you never have to use it. You're just going to shove Jesus out of the way after you pray this little prayer, then you're going to live your life, call the shots, and at the end of the road, Christ is going to be waiting to wing you to heaven, saying, I thought you'd never get here. Let me tell you, that's just not true Bible salvation. Salvation is a gift that we receive, but Jesus Christ did not simply die on the cross, get buried in a barred tomb, and get raised from the dead to get you out of hell. He also did all of that to get hell out of you. And that's what lordship is all about. So from the Word of God tonight, I simply want to give you two reasons. Two reasons why you ought to make Jesus Christ the absolute Lord of your life. First of all, you ought to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life because of what He gave because of what he gave. The Bible speaks of the majesty and glory of Christ in eternity past. For it says in verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is the second person of the divine Godhead. And from all of eternity he reigned, enthroned, and exalted in heaven, basking in the glorious worship of angels. 
But the Scripture says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, divine, our Lord Jesus Christ, who treasured His divine place in the eternal Godhead, looks down and sees us in our lost condition, separated from God, doomed to hell. No way we can save ourselves. We need someone to rescue us. Someone who's fully God and yet who's fully man, who can take the hand of a sinner and the hand of divine, holy God and bring them together in reconciliation. And the Bible says, He made Himself of no reputation in verse 7. That means He emptied Himself of all of the outward trappings of majesty. And the Bible says He took on the form of not just a servant, but a bondservant, the lowest kind of servant. And He came to planet Earth clothed in the likeness of a mortal man and being found in appearance as a man. The Scripture says in verse 8, He humbled Himself. And the word humble means He stooped low and became obedient to the point of death, but not the death of disease, the death of old age, or the death of an accident, but the death of an old, rugged cross. So you need to understand why you get to go to heaven. You need to understand why you've been saved from hell. You need to understand why the power of sin in your life has been broken. The chains have fallen away. You need to understand why your destiny is a place where the streets are made of gold, where the sun never sets, and where we never grow old. The Bible says in eternity past, our Lord Jesus Christ reigning in majesty on high sees us groping in darkness, lost in need of a Savior. So our Lord Jesus Christ rises from His majestic throne, turns the stars into a staircase, comes down to this sin-cursed earth, rubs shoulders with mortal man, clothing His majesty in the body of a peasant carpenter. The Lord Jesus Christ heals the leper. He causes the blind to see and the lame to walk. He even raises the dead and lives an absolutely perfect life. But He is betrayed by one He had loved and trusted. He is arrested by mere mortal men. He is put on trial. He never says a word because He came to this earth for one reason, and that's to take our place on a cross on a hill called Calvary. They took our Lord Jesus Christ, and they beat Him with a scourge until the flesh on His back was hanging in ribbons. And then they took a crown of thorns, and they placed it upon His brow. And they hit that crown of thorns, and they drove it into His brow like driving nails into a two-before. And then our Lord Jesus Christ walked all the way to the top of Mount Calvary, and they took the hands of Jesus, the hands that created the Grand Canyon, the hands that flung stars out where there'd been darkness, and they nailed them to that old red cross. And they took the precious feet of Jesus that brought Him on His mission of mercy from the hallways of heaven to the horrors of planet Earth, and they nailed them to the cross. And then they lifted that cross up, and our Lord Jesus Christ was positioned between two common thieves. 
He was hanging there between heaven and hell. And the Bible says, hanging there on the cross, Jesus Christ bore our sins. And the Scripture says, took our place and became our substitute. And God poured out His wrath on your sins and my sins on Jesus Christ who was our substitute on that cross. And Jesus Christ shed His blood and by the shedding of His blood and by giving His very life, by paying our sin debt in full, our Lord Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid a debt that He did not owe and a debt that I could not pay and He satisfied through His atoning death the wrath of God against our sins and because He shed His blood, we can be washed clean and when God looks at a sinner through the blood of His Son, He doesn't see a sinner, He sees a saint. So I want you to know He came all the way from heaven and He came all the way to planet earth and He went all the way to Calvary and He went all the way to that place of God's forsakenness and He held nothing back and He did everything that needed to be done so that we can simply by faith through grace receive Him as our Savior and be born again. Jesus Christ poured out His soul unto death. He gave 100%. So how in response to the death of Jesus on the cross can we repay Him with our leftover emotions with our spare time and our pocket change. The Lord Jesus Christ tonight says from that old rugged cross, He says to each of us sitting in this building tonight, I want you to die to your sins. I want you to nail your flesh to the cross. I want you to lift up and see a vision of me touching a lost and dying world. I want you to be my hands and feet. I saved you so that you might serve. I saved you so that I could pour my life through you but I can't pour my life through you if you're full of yourself. So let's get self on the cross, Jesus on the throne. Confess him as Lord tonight and understand he demands our all. Jesus should be the Lord of your life because of what he gave. I want to give you a second reason why you ought to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You ought to make Jesus the Lord of your life because of what he gained because of what he gained. Notice the scripture says, therefore, in verse 9. I'm glad it didn't end in verse 8. It says that he died on the cross. The word therefore is there for a reason. It connects what's past to what's coming. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him Jesus, the name. That means the rank, the title, which is above every rank and title. God highly exalted him. They took the body of Jesus Christ off of that cross. They put it in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They rolled the stone into place, placed a Roman seal on it. And for three days and three nights, our Lord Jesus Christ lay in that cold tomb dead. And it seemed that all hope was gone. I've often contemplated what sad Saturday was like. I wonder if there was a man watching the sunset. His wife says to him, why 
don't you come in and stop staring at the sun. You're going to go blind. And he says, well, honey, I just heard that my healer is in the grave, and I'll probably be blind in the morning. I wonder if the leper is gathering his family around him, saying, I want you to hold me tight because I probably have to move out tomorrow. Going to have to live outside the camp and cry unclean because I just heard word that the one who healed me of leprosy, he's dead and gone. He's in the grave. wonder if a man's running laps around the town square and somebody says, why don't he sit down? He's going to collapse. And they say, well, I hollered and asked him what he was doing. He, you know, he's the one that was laying on the side of the road paralyzed. And Jesus came by and told him to get up and carry his bed home. But he said he probably won't be able to crawl out of bed in the morning because he just found out his healer is in the grave. And for three days and for three nights, our Lord Jesus Christ lay in that grave dead. And it was as if the flags of the universe were flying at half-mask. It's as if there was a party in hell and the devil thought he had won the day. But the Bible says God has highly exalted him. And early in the morning, on the first day of the week, the precious Holy Spirit entered that grave and raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The stone rolled away, but Jesus Christ, before he walked out of the tomb, took that nail-scarred foot, kicked the backside out of the grave, turned the grave into a doorway so that believers never die. We're just absent from the body and we're just present with the Lord. We stop breathing here, we start breathing there. We stop looking here and we start looking there. We stop living here, we start living there. We step off a street of asphalt, we step onto a street of gold. Our Lord Jesus Christ walked out of that grave. He was robed in glory and majesty, and he held in his hand the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I want you to know he had under his foot the Satan, the devil himself, and had made his enemy his footstool. And King Jesus Christ came out in victory. He came out in glory, and they will never crucify him again. He is alive forevermore. We don't serve a dead deity. We serve a living Jesus Christ and he's in this room tonight. And when we gather on the Lord's day, we gather on the Lord's day because it was on the Lord's day that he came out of that tomb. And we don't go to church to have a funeral. We go to church to celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that death is defeated, that sin has been conquered and we're on the winning side. Hallelujah. And yet here you sit tonight distressed and depressed talking about your dysfunctional upbringing. And I'm telling you the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that comes into the dead heart of a lost sinner. And I want to tell you what happens when you get saved. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead comes into your dead soul and raises you from the dead. And all of the power that is in Christ is in you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus did not die on the cross 
and get raised from the dead for you to be a victim, but to be a victor. And I want you to know you need to stop living underneath the circumstances and you need to start tap dancing on top of the circumstances. But the Bible says that God highly exalted him. Our Lord Jesus Christ, having been raised from the dead, walked upon planet earth for another 40 days, teaching his disciples and performing miracles. The scripture says after 40 days, he began a liftoff. Gravity lost its hold on him. He began to ascend up through the clouds. His disciples were gazing. They were watching him. And an angel speaks to them and says, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. God has highly exalted him. He sat down at the right hand of the Father on high, but he gave us a promise that someday he's coming without sin into salvation. And the next time he comes, because God has highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, it won't be like the first time he came. The first time he came, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. But the next time he comes, he's going to be wearing a robe of righteousness. The first time he came, he came riding into town on a donkey. But the next time he comes, he's going to be riding on a war horse. The first time he came, they nailed his hand to an old rugged cross. But the next time he comes, he's going to be holding a royal scepter. The first time he came, they crowned him with thorns. But the next time he comes, he'll be wearing a royal diadem. The first time he came, he came to be judged. But the next time he comes, he's the judge, the prosecuting attorney, and the jury. Let me tell you, child of God, you're distressed. You're wondering what's going to happen. What's going to happen to America? What's going to happen to the world? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming back. And I'm telling you, the Republicans can't stop him. The Democrats can't stop him. The independents can't stop him. The evolutionists can't stop him. The secular humanists can't stop him. The red Chinese communists can't stop him. I want you to know radical Islam can't stop him. I want you to know the liberal progressives can't stop him. I want you to know the dead church members can't stop him. Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes back, he's not coming to run for anything. He's coming to run everything. The next time he comes, it won't be like the first time he came. They nailed his foot to that old rugged cross. I got to thinking about that one day standing on the Mount of Olives. I got to thinking about the prophecy in the book of Zechariah. I was looking across the Kedron Valley at the eastern gate. The Turks walled it up 
because they heard about that prophecy that, prophecy that said when the Messiah comes back, he'll come through that eastern gate. So they got it walled up. They think so he can't do that. But the Bible says God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And I won't tell you what's getting ready to happen. Now listen, turn the news off. Turn the news radio off. Turn, listen, get the YouTube off. Get the Facebook off. Get all of that social media off and think about this, my friend, because this is what's going to happen. Someday soon, our Lord Jesus Christ is going to rapture the church off of planet Earth. There's going to be seven years of tribulation down here on this earth. And after seven years of tribulation, he's going to get on that fiery war horse and with the armies of glory, he's going to descend from the heavens and he is going to land on the Mount of Olives. And when he dismounts and that nation scarred glorified foot touches the Mount of Olives, it's going to split it half in two. He's going to walk across the Kidron Valley. He's going to kick open the Eastern Gate. He is going to ascend the Temple Mount. He's going to sit down on the throne of David and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ alone is King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So this truth demands a response from us tonight. The scripture gives us the response. It says, first of all, we must relinquish control to Jesus. It says in verse 10, every knee's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. But my knee's got to bow tonight. I've got to relinquish the control of my life into the hands of Jesus. Just like that little lad let go of his lunch. And the lunch was placed in the hands of Christ. And once in the hands of Christ, it became a miracle. You've got to relinquish the control of your life into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ and take your hands up. Lord, you've you got to say, it's your ministry. Lord, it's your church. Lord, it's your job. Lord, this is your family. These are your finances. Lord, here's my failures. Here's my all. I'm not going to try to control everything anymore. I humbly bow at your feet. And I exalt you and enthrone you as Lord. We not only have to relinquish control, we got to confess Him as Lord. The Bible says every tongue in verse 11 should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that word confess means to publicly declare, but it also means to agree with. So in other words, I've got to bring my life into agreement with Jesus. Amos said no two can walk together unless they're in agreement. In other words, his agenda is not going to bend to mine. I've got to embrace his agenda. His aims aren't going to bend to mine. I've got to embrace his aims. His will is not going to bend to mine. I've got to embrace his will. I've got to come to the place where I come to the end of self and I say, Lord Jesus Christ, from this day forward, my Christian life is not going to be me trying to do the best I can for you. My Christian life is going to be me keeping me out of the way so that you, the exalted, almighty Lord Jesus Christ, can pour your resurrection life through me. And until you come, I'm going to keep my chin up. I'm going to praise you and I'm going to walk by faith and I'm not going to walk by sight. And Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to confess every day there's only one Lord and his name is Jesus Christ. 
One of the great pastors of the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago was a man named Alan Redpath. I have many of his books in my library. He was from Great Britain. And uh, most of his ministry, he was in itinerant ministry, and he traveled in itinerant ministry, preaching all over the world. When his girls were small, they had a contest. And they knew that he usually got back on Wednesday evening. And so on Thursday morning, they would jump out of bed when they woke up. And the older sister and the younger sister, they would race to his study. They always knew he'd be in his study to see who could see Daddy first. And one morning, they knew Dr. Redpath was going to be in that study. They jumped out of the bed. They took off running went sprinting down the hallway to his study. But the little girl was, she was outrun by the older sister. Her legs were longer. She was taller. And she got to the door first and flung it open, and there was Dr. Redpath. She ran in there and wrapped her arms around the legs of her dad. And then she looked back at her little sister who came through the door and was crying. And she said to torment her, I have all of daddy that there is. The little girl went down there and stood down there at the feet of Dr. Redpath, and he saw her down there crying, and he lifted her up and held her in his arms. And the little girl looked down at her older sister, and she said, you may have all of daddy there is, but daddy has all of me there is. And there it is. You have all of Jesus there is. The issue is, does Jesus have all of you? Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus, be the Lord of all the kingdoms of our heart. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're getting ready to have some music. It's invitation time. The pastor's coming to take his place down here. I want to tell you tonight, if you're not saved, the Bible says you'll spend eternity separated from God in a place that's been described to you without compromise tonight, a place called hell. But no one has to go to hell because Jesus on the cross took your judgment for you and he offers you the gift of eternal life. Why go to hell when you can go to heaven? And dear Christian, we've heard a challenge tonight to be light. To not spend our lives just sitting on a church pew, but to be salt and light. Maybe you need to come to this altar and say, Lord, I want my light to shine. These altars are open, and maybe you need to come tonight and say, Lord, I want to relinquish control. Let go and let God put everything under your feet. Holy Spirit of God, move in this invitation time. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. Let's all stand together, and as we're standing, they're singing. You come right now. <laughs>